0: chapter 2 and we're going to look at verse 1 and through verse 16. So we're going to look at the first half of this chapter. Romans chapter 2 verse 1. These are the words of the apostle Paul to the church at Rome while he was in Corinth. Here's what he says. He says, therefore you are inexcusable O man uh, whoever you are to judge for in whatever you judge another you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, that you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with the hardness and your impotent Im- heart, you are treasuring up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek but glory and honor and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek for there is no partiality with God for as many um, yeah for as many as have sinned without the law will also perish without the law and many of that have sinned in the law will be judged by the law For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them in the day which God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ Christ. According to my gospel. Lord, thank you again for your word. And I pray that you would just speak to our hearts and give us an ear to hear everything that you would say to us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Well, that was a, a quite a long passage. And it was worded, to say the least. But, you know, Paul's making a case here. Tonight, we are continuing this series that we've entitled Chains because Paul said, I'm an, a debtor. I'm indebted to the gospel and I'm indebted to preach this message to you also who are in Rome. And uh, first week and the second week, we reiterated the fact that Paul went on this missionary journey to Rome free on a first class ticket from the government because ultimately he made it there in chains, in prison, and ultimately according to history ended up beheaded and uh gave his life for the gospel at the hands of wicked king nero but paul last week we learned he said that i am indebted to this gospel and therefore paul came in uh, in clutch last week and we had to hit it really hard because paul begins to address the roman culture last week was um, very difficult if you live in today's culture because Paul dealt with the perversion of the homosexual agenda. He dealt with all of those things which, by the way, as I mentioned last week, are not new at all. There's nothing new under the sun, right? The only thing that is more prevalent today is that we have the internet, and we have cell phones, and emails, and text, and satellites. And so we have more readily information about these things. But listen, man has been debaucherous since the fall of Adam and Eve. Um, there's a reason why God destroyed the earth with, uh, with the flood in Genesis chapter 6, and he started over. There's so much wickedness that was going on in the world, and Paul deals with that. He, he tells us exactly what it's like when a nation turns their back on God, when they ultimately suppress the knowledge of the truth, continue to reject the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and say, God, I don't want any of your grace. I don't want your laws. I don't want any of that. Then God, here's what he does. He honors his word. He honors our free will. Just like he told them in Genesis 6, my spirit will not strive with man forever. The Bible says three times in Romans chapter 1, God gave them up, God gave them up, and He gave them over to their own thoughts, to the futility of their minds, to their own depravity, to do that which is unseemingly and unnatural. So Paul's dealing with the wrath and the judgment of God. Now. For a lot of people, that's a real heavy topic. We don't like to talk about the wrath of God and the anger of God. But the truth is, the Bible says in this book, we're going to read later in Romans in a few weeks, Behold both the goodness and the severity of God. God is a just judge. He's righteous and he's equally balanced. There is is righteousness and there is mercy. We see it in the scripture that God is absolutely just. In all that he does. Tonight, though, we're gonna continue to to go along this trail and we're gonna not shift gears completely, but we're gonna begin to look at Paul's admonition to the church at Rome as they're living in this culture that is so sinful. They're living, as I mentioned, in this polytheistic culture, which is a culture that worships many different gods, right? Israel and Christians, we worship one God, okay? But in Rome, the Bible says they traded the image of the creator and began to worship creation and formed and fashioned their own idols and images that they would bow down and worship. And so, as we look at that, Paul is dealing with the church now in a very straightforward matter because he's dealing with, with people who are subject to this every single day. Now, I need to stop and pause right here for a moment. We are in this world, right? How many of you would agree with that? We are in this world. But the Bible says we're not to be of this world, right? Right? We, we, we are not to be, we used to use a, a, a phrase. We called it being worldly. Hello, worldly. Anybody remember that? Maybe we need to start using that again. We need to start using terms like backslider and, and a worldliness. But, but Paul uses those phrases. And in the phrase of being like the world, here's the thing, folks. If you and I don't make a conscious choice every single day, To keep ourselves on the altar of God, we don't choose every single day to consecrate ourselves, to live for Christ. Let me tell you what will happen. The world will start rubbing up against you, and it will start challenging your convictions. It will start challenging your commitment to God. And all of a sudden, you will start acting like the world. That's what Paul's trying to deal with when he's dealing with the church at Rome. Because they know the truth. They've received the truth. God has done great things among them. But yet there are things that are happening in that culture that Paul said, I just absolutely have to come and talk to you about this. So in Romans chapter 2, the scene changes. And Paul starts using this courtroom language. He starts talking about judgment and being judged, and in the day of judgment, and the day of God's wrath. Now, we need to understand that the Bible uses a lot of legalese language in the Scripture, even starting in the Old Testament. The Bible portrays God, the Father, as the judge of all creation. He is the righteous judge, right? The Bible says that when Jesus died, right? The Bible says after the resurrection, he ascended and he made himself seated by the right hand of the Father. And the Bible says that he ever lives to make intercession for us. What that means is he's standing between us and the Father. Jesus' blood, right? is literally standing between God's judgment and us. I need you to think about that tonight. Legitimately, the only thing that keeps you and I qualified from not going to hell is the blood of Christ. Man, I'm telling you, we need to talk a lot about the blood of Christ. It is so important. In fact, uh, uh, the Bible talks about in the Old Testament with Moses, when they would do the sacrifices, the Bible said after they would take the sacrifices, they would take the blood and they would sprinkle it on the altar. They had sprinkled the blood on the books. And that's where we got the old phrase from the old time saints where they would say, I plead the blood. I plead the blood, right? The blood of Christ is the only thing keeping us from the judgment of God. So Jesus is our advocate. But uh, uh, the Bible also says that we have an enemy and that enemy is named Satan. The book of Revelation calls him the accuser of the brethren. And so what Satan does, what does he do? He accuses us before the throne of God day and night. We see it in the book of Job, where Satan comes before the throne of God and accuses Job. We see it in the New Testament, where Jesus tells Simon Peter, he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. But I pray that your faith doesn't fail. And when you're converted, strengthen your brethren. Um, You see, uh, Satan, although he's fallen in his his position, right? He's fallen in his position. He was fallen in in the garden. He's still an accuser of the brethren. In the middle of the tribulation, the Bible says in the book of Revelation, that Satan is cast down forever. Okay, the accuser of the brethren is cast down. But I want you to know something Satan is accusing us before the throne of God. And do you know what happens whenever Satan accuses us as a Christian before the throne of God? Jesus steps in and says, Uh uh-uh, uh, the blood. Uh uh-uh, uh, the blood. That's covered. Because guess what? That that cross-examiner, that prosecuting attorney, the devil, here he comes with the evidence of all of our wrongdoing and all of our sin. And Jesus steps in and says, Nope, that evidence is dismissible. It's not admissible to this court. I plead the blood. Hello. Come on. Somebody said one time, I plead the fifth. I don't plead the fifth. I plead the blood. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Why am I telling you all that? Because Paul's using This courtroom language, which, by the way, is all too familiar to the Greco-Roman culture. Anybody ever heard of the phrase, the bema seat before? The bema seat judgment, that that judgment that's mentioned in the Bible, the judgment seat. Uh, Paul says, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That bema seat is, is taken from the Roman custom because there was a, a throne that was there where they would go and they would make judgments. So that was a, a phrase that people readily understood in that culture. And Paul's trying to tell them tonight that there is a such thing as the righteous judgment of God. Now I don't know how many of you uh I don't watch near as much television as it used to seem like things have just gotten worse and worse and worse. But um, uh, even when I was a kid, my, I remember my dad used to watch police shows all the time. I mean, whether or not like it, I'm, I'm, I'm about to show my, uh, I'm, I'm an old soul down on the inside. But my dad used to watch In the Heat of the Night. Hello. Anybody remember Matlock? All right. Uh, there were some other ones. Um, I, I can't remember the name of that one show, but there was a lots of different cop shows that we would watch. And so I, I didn't realize how much that kind of grew on me uh, until you know, the last few recent years because those, those things are really interesting when they're clean and you can watch them. Sometimes you just have to turn them off. But one of the things, though, is a lot of those shows actually center around the prosecution and the courtroom. And that was the thing about Matlock, right? He was always in court, you know, and he was presenting that evidence and he was trying to go and do all this stuff. And and so they would stand before a judge. Everybody say the judge, all right? And so the judge is somebody who there is a lot of power invested in the judge. Listen, there are a lot of people that can say things about you and say things to you. But other than the Lord Jesus Christ and maybe a few other people, there are few other people on this earth right now as we speak that have the power to change a person's life like the declaration of a judge in a courtroom. A judge in a courtroom has the ability to sentence somebody to life in prison or to give them a slap on the hand. A judge in a courtroom has the ability... To give somebody the death penalty or to give them life in prison, right? And so that judge's decree, that strike of that gavel upon his desk is a, is a decree that in this natural realm is, is pretty powerful. But there's only one problem. The problem is, is that even within our systems, right? Which by the way, Romans, Paul deals with it later on in the passage, in the chapters uh, down the road as we get into this. Paul talks about how God is the one who ordained the governments and the different things in the world. So, uh, officers and judges and People who keep order and keep law, the Bible says they ex- they execute the sword, right? The Bible says that if you don't do what is wrong, you have no reason to fear those who are in authority. Now, of course, we know that there are authority figures who mis- mis- uh, abuse their authority, but that doesn't negate the fact that the Lord tells us that we're to submit to authority Unless it goes against the law of God, okay? So, um, very few things, but um, yeah, unless it goes against the law of God, we're to submit ourselves to authority. So, why am I saying that tonight? Because even in the penal system with courts and all of these things, they're not infallible, they're human. Sometimes people make mistakes. Now listen, I want to be very careful tonight for those of you who are in this room or maybe anybody who's watching, not to paint a bad picture, okay? I do not want to paint a bad picture upon any police officers or judges or courts because I I do believe they get it right way more than they get it wrong. But history does tell us that there has been times that the court systems have got it wrong. There was a man that was in Angola Prison in Louisiana. He was there for over 25 years of his life. He went in, I believe it was in 1975, as a young man for a crime. And they arrested him, they took him to prison, and he got out, I think it was in around 2000. But you know, he didn't get out in 2000 because he did his time. He got out in the year 2000 because they found out through DNA evidence he didn't commit the crime. Now, folks, I want you to imagine going to sleep in 1975 and waking up in the year 2000. So a lot of things change in the outside world. They were wrong. Luckily, the state of Louisiana does have some type of thing. It's not enough. Uh, the, to me, if you're wrongly prosecuted and you give a, a quarter of your life away, you ought to, you ought to be compensated really well. But uh, they do give you a little bit more than a bus ticket home. They do help you a little bit. But there are some states, though, however, where if the justice system gets it wrong, there is no compensation. It's just a, sorry about you. We didn't really mean to do that. Well, listen, that's terribly frustrating. There are judges that get it wrong. Sometimes there's just not sufficient evidence. Sometimes it's just not sufficient evidence. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's um, a, a trial by a jury of your peers, and these jurors have been locked in a room for days and days, and sometimes weeks and weeks if it's a high-profile case, and everybody's ready to go home. And so they just finally just cast lots and make a decision. It happens. Sometimes, this has been proven true, Sometimes there are people who do wrong who have lots of money. And it's amazing how some people get the books thrown at them and other people get nothing done to them. Hmm. You know what that tells me? It tells me that the justice system isn't always right. But, somebody say but. Here's what I need you to hear. The righteous judgment of God is always correct. There are people on this earth right now who should be in the penitentiary, and they should uh, be locked up for the things that they've done, and they feel like they've gotten away with it. But I want you to know nothing escapes the all-seeing eyes of God. Unless that man repents, he'll pay for every single aspect of that wrong that he's done tell you, listen, man's justice may cause some to slip by, but God's righteous judgment always makes sure that that penalty is paid in full. That's what Paul's dealing with tonight when he's talking about this righteous judgment of God. I want to I look, if you're taking notes tonight, at uh, uh, verse number one, and let's look at a couple of these verses again real quick. Notice what Paul says in verse one. He says, therefore you are inexcusable. Now, I need you to stop there. Okay, time out. Now, you and I both have a Bible with some type of chapters and some types of verses, whether or not it's a digital Bible or it's a Bible like this, and it's got like chapter 2, verse 1, verse 2. You need to know, and I'm sure you know this. I've taught this before, but in case you're a new believer here tonight, I do want you to know this. These, are, these chapters and verses were placed here during translation to help you find your place in the Bible while you're studying. But these books of the Bible, though, they were written as letters. And so, in these writings, there were no chapters per se or verses like we have today. And so, a lot of times, we've got to make sure that we're connecting the thoughts and getting everything into its context. So, I learned in English a long, long time ago that anytime something starts off with, therefore— You need to figure out what is therefore. And that therefore in Romans chapter 2 verse 1 connects to the end of the chapter of Romans chapter 1. And Paul's dealing with the wrath of God that's coming upon people who are are, are rejecting God and they're sexually immoral and all those things. And then Paul turns around to the church at Rome in verse 1. He says, therefore you are inexcusable. Oh, man. Then he says, who are you to judge? For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. So, Paul's dealing with that. He says, we know the judgment of God is according to what? It's truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, oh, man, you who judge those practicing such things, and you're doing the same things, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with the hardness of your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath and a revelation of the righteous judgment of God. So the first thought tonight that I would give to you out of uh, Romans chapter 2 is this. Number one, I want you to look closely. We've got to look at the reasons for God's judgment. We got to look at the reason for God's judgment number one he says man is without excuse they're without excuse God has revealed himself to these people they've chosen to suppress the truth and to turn away from God and he says they're without excuse even creation itself has given them the testimony of the creator uh, Then he says man has rejected God. We read that in the last of Romans chapter 1. But here's the other thing while the judgment of God is uh, uh, reasonable. God's dealing with them because Paul says you're judging hypocritically. You're judging hypocritically. Now I've taught on this before. But I don't have time to to go back through it tonight if I want to get through with this lesson. But a lot of people they say well... You know, you're not supposed to judge. Judge, Now, quote the scripture, judge not unless you be judged. Well, that's what it says, but that's not exactly the, the context of that verse. Because last week, we were reading about this, and Paul and the whole church judged that man at Corinth who was not repenting and sleeping with his father's wife. Okay, so that's not... The Bible talks about judging as far as calling a snake a snake, an apple an apple, a pear a pear. But here, what the Bible does condemn us for is judging hypocritically. And that's what he's dealing with in the Scripture, judge not lest you be judged. For in the same measure that you judge, It's going to be measured back to you. That's why Jesus said, why is it that you look at the moat in your brother's eye, or the speck in your brother's eye, rather, and you can't see the moat or the log in your own? So these Roman believers, he's trying to tell them about the judgment of God. He's saying, do you think you're going to escape the judgment of God? You're you're talking about these people. They're doing this, and they're doing that, and they're doing this. And man, God's going to get them, and they're going to cook forever and never be done. And the Lord's going to get them, get them, get them, get them. And he's saying, you do the same thing. Notice he said, you're doing the same thing. Do you think that you're going to escape God's judgment? He said, oh, no, 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 no. Do you not know that the goodness of God leads men to repentance? He tells them, he's like, listen, you've got to understand, God's judgment is just. It's righteous because man is without excuse. Man has rejected God and they are judging hypocritically. Paul is warning about this judgment. Now, let's go a little bit further tonight. In verse number 6, look at what Paul says. He says, uh, Who will render to each one according to his deeds? Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, But obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, on the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory, honor, peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Verse 11, for there is no partiality with God. So the first thing, we looked at the reason for God's judgment. But number two, I want us to look at the realities. Let's look at the realities of God's judgment. Somebody say the realities. Here's the reality tonight about God's judgment. Paul says, for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. He's talking to believers here, but there is a judgment for believers and there is a judgment for unbelievers. So the believer's judgment is different in a certain sense than the unbelievers judgment, but we all will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And Paul goes on when he writes to the church of Corinth, which is where he is when he's writing to the church of Rome. He says, because we have this this truth, he said, we ought to purify ourselves. Man, knowing that we're going to stand before the judgment seat of God one day, it ought to affect our lives. As Christians, yes, we're washed in the blood. Yes, the Lord's forgiven us of our sin. Yes, he's made us righteous and he's redeemed us. But also, folks, listen, the Bible says we are going to give an account for every work that we've done. What we've done for Christ is going to stand, it's going to remain. How you've helped the poor, how you've helped the widow, how you've shared Jesus, how you've impacted the gospel, how you've prayed for others, those types of things, that's what's going to be eternal. But everything you did for your own vainglory, everything you did to make your name shine, everything you did to build your own self up, the Bible says those works will be tried by the fire of God. And it'll be like wood, hay, and stubble, and only that which is precious will remain. So we see here the reality of God is that we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now listen, folks, you and I may never stand before the Supreme Court. You and I may never stand before the county judge, but we will stand before the judge of all creation. So don't pass off your Christian duty and say, well, that's not my job. It's not my job to be a witness. It's not my job to be faithful. You're going to answer to the Lord for that one day. Absolutely. Going to have to give an account for every opportunity that we took, every opportunity that we passed by. Here's what you need to know tonight. Not only are we all going to stand before the judgment seat of God, here's the other reality. This is a personal judgment. Somebody say personal Paul goes on to tell us that. Um, He says, when you look at this in uh, verse number uh, uh, 8, you don't have to turn back over there again. But Paul says that God's going to reward one in verse number 6 rather. He says, who will render to each one according to his what? Deeds. What that means is when you stand before the judgment seat of the Lord, it's going to be personal. You're not going to stand there on behalf of your mama, your daddy, your kids, or anything like that. You are going to stand before the Lord based on your actions. And guess what, folks? When we get there, this, the devil made me do it. It's not going to be a good excuse. Amen. They made me mad. It's not going to be a good excuse. We are going to have to give an account for all of our deeds, man. That's what the Bible says. And listen, don't, ta- don't say tonight that's just for the unbeliever because the next verse says it'll be eternal life. This is what God's going to reward to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek after his presence. But then those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth is going to be indignation, wrath, tribulation, and anguish. Man, what a description of hell. Wrath, tribulation, and anguish on the soul of every man who does evil. He's telling us at this judgment, God is going to make a decree about your life and you will either go to heaven or you will go to hell and that's the way it's going to be. One thing that's different though about this judge versus some of the other judge, judges that we, we see, there are no bribes. Won't be able to bribe the judge at the day of judgment. Now, there's false doctrine that comes out of the Church of Rome that says that uh, in, the, in Roman Catholicism, where you pay penance to your loved ones who are in hell and you can buy their way out. But let me tell you something if you believe that, according to reading the scripture, I've got oceanfront property, as the old country singer said in Arizona. Hello. You can't buy your way out of hell. Where you go is where you go. It's a personal judgment. Next, it's a proper judgment. And after that, it's a perfect judgment. Why? Because God's justice is perfect. When you stand before the Lord, he's not going to be missing any evidence. He's not going to be missing any books up there. He's not going to be swayed. He's not going to be biased. He's not going to be, uh, uh, you know, uh, distracted. Yet that judgment is going to be entirely perfect. Perfect. Let me say it like this. If a man dies or a woman dies without Christ, right? Without Christ, and they go to hell for eternity it will be a righteous judgment. It'll be because of what they have done. And ultimately, the big thing that they've done would be rejecting the Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, on the flip side, if we get to heaven and we st- we're standing before the judgment of God, rather, and God looks at our life and he looks at what we've done and, and, and he sees Jesus' blood On our lives He'll decree us to go to heaven And it will not be Because of what we've done It'll be because of what he's done Now listen This is important When we get to heaven I tell you God's going to judge our works God's going to judge our works But those works That God judges Are not the determining factor On if you go to heaven or not Okay, They're not Because guess what? All of us miss it. All of us blow it a few times. You don't have to murder somebody, commit adultery, or cheat on your taxes. Listen, the word sin simply means to miss the mark. And if the Holy Spirit speaks to you to buy somebody's groceries and you don't do it, you've sinned. You've missed it. If God tells you to turn your car around and go speak to somebody that needs to know Jesus, and you don't do it, you disobey, you have missed the mark. But thank God for mercy and grace. The works that we're judged for determine our rewards in heaven. Say, we're going to have rewards in heaven? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Somebody said one time it's going to determine what kind of mansion we have. That's not true. That's a works-based gospel. That's not true at all. Our rewards will be determined by what we do. And we'll be given crowns and jewels. And the scripture says we'll take them and we will cast them at his feet in worship. I want to have something to worship him with when I get to heaven. So praise the Lord. I don't do good works to get saved. I do good works because I am saved. It ought to be the fruit of my life. Right? But it'll be a perfect judgment. Number three, we need to look at the realization of God's judgment. Here's the realization of it. Number one, it's going to be because of man's rebellion. Next, man's going to try to justify themselves. They're going to try to justify themselves. Paul goes on and he deals with that here in Romans chapter 2. If you look at verse number, let's start back at 11 and let's work our way down. He says, for there is no partiality with God. For as many As have sinned without the law, will also perish without the law. And as many have sinned in the law, will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. Look here. For when Gentiles, who do not have the law by nature, do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, having conscience, Also bearing witness and between themselves their thoughts they are accusing or else excusing them. A man's man's conscience is either going to condemn himself or he's going to excuse himself. That's what Paul said. And you know when a person gets in trouble, they either do one or two things. They either admit guilt or they start making excuses. You don't believe me? Doesn't have to be murder, doesn't have to be rape, doesn't have to be tax evasion, doesn't have to be anything like that. When's the last time you got pulled over for going too fast? Now, listen, I will make a confession here tonight. My foot weighs a little bit more than other parts of my body. My wife always taps me on the shoulder. I try to remember to put the cruise control on, but I, I take a verse in the Old Testament that says, The king's business requires haste. And so I'm like Donetta. I followed her the other day. She was rolling. So, you know, don't me tell on you. I see you back there. All right. Sheriff's not here tonight. All right. So, but uh, the king's business re- requires haste. But you know what? I've made a decision, though. That's the sheriff calling right there. So I've made a decision. I made a decision. Anytime a situation like that happens, I just own it. I'm sorry. I don't have an excuse. The law's the law. I wasn't paying attention. I, I was in a hurry to get home, whatever. You know what? Not only do they respect that a lot more because they deal with a lot of grief from other people, but also, I would think God honors that. Because a part of repentance, right, is not making an excuses. Well, I cheated on my wife because of this. And I said this to them because of that. No, admit you are wrong. Right? That's the, that's the, the introductory step to making a change in your life. Is to admitting that you're wrong. And so, get this, man's going to try to justify himself. But when you get before God... That's not going to work. That's not going to work. Because not only will we all face that judgment, but here's the other realization of that judgment. That decree is final. Final. You know, our penal system, I'm I'm done, you close your Bible. Our penal system today has in it for certain crimes, for certain sentences, The ability for what we call parole, right? You serve so much of your time, and if you've been good and you've done these things, then, you know, unless you get a without parole life without parole sentence, then it is possible. It's possible. That on good behavior or something like that. If you got 40 years and after 18 or 20 or whatever it is, whatever you have to minimally serve, you can go before the parole board and they can make a decree, a declaration based on the law and the judge signs off on it. And they can say, well, okay, you, you've done good enough. And you know what happens then? Those who are in prison get to then go free. But they're told, like, 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 like Jesus told the man, go and sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. In other words, I'm going to have mercy on you today, but if you come back, I'm going to throw the book at you. It happens. But guess what? In heaven, we stand before that judgment seat of God, and he decrees somebody into everlasting judgment, where our scripture says there's anguish and wrath and torment. There's no parole board. There's no parole board. This is why you and I have to make the Great Commission a priority. Because every second that our heart beats and the clock ticks, people are rushing off to judgment. And they're going to stand before God. That's why Paul was passionate. That's why Paul gave his life for the gospel. Because he said, man, I I was headed for that place, and God was so merciful towards me. He said, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And so, therefore, we persuade men. Bible's close. Stand up on your feet with me.